California. You are listening to KDRT 95.7 Davis, California, where the grassroots grow. This is Vanessa here, and you are tuned into Techno Cult Radio. Um, we have a special show today. Um, I'll bring in the class right now. And group three uh, can take over, or the first group can take over now. Hi, our group is Bog, and today we're going to talk about art and culture. Can I start? Uh, and I prepared an interview with James, who is YouTuber, so let me turn on the interview. Hi, James. How are you? Please introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Gun. My name is James. I'm a high school student now. I'm, I'm glad to see you today. As far as I know you, you're a YouTuber. I don't have a lot of subscribers, but I'm doing it right now. How did you get started? I want to major in film, so I like to make videos. That's why I'm trying it out. There's no age limit to YouTube. Anyone can do it, so I got courage and started. It hasn't been long since I started, so I'm not doing well, but I'm trying. And I think YouTube is really good to be able to upload a video of the topic I want without any restrictions. What is the subject of your YouTube? I usually do a vlog for my daily life. I am Korean and usually take videos introducing the United States to Korean. Because there are a lot of people who want to go to America and make English subtitles so that not only Koreans, but also many people can see them. Oh, that's really cool. Then how do you make the videos? I've never learned how to make a video, but I bought a book and studied alone. I mainly use Premiere Pro. I take videos with my Sony camera, and when I edit, I put music that matches the video and add the subtitles. If I add various effects, the video will become more abundant and attract people's attention. It's very hard to make my own video because you have to be creative and unique to have more subscribers. Ordinarily, videos are boring, so I put a lot of effort into editing. This is, this is because if editing is fun, the quality of the video increases. I like to put in sound effects, so I put in a lot. In fact, I am sad that I haven't learned this major person yet. I want to know what I want to learn when I go to university next year. Oh, that's really cool. Actually, I'm majoring in cinema and digital media in Davis, and I hope you find the right film major for you and get accepted. Uh, and we're having a Davis Film Festival today, and I hope you can attend it. Um, anyway, thank you for your interview today. Thank you, I look forward to it, and I had a good time too. Bye-bye.
thank you so much for that interview. Um, we will be talking about, um, well, Giovanna will be talking about the film festival and then we will go on to share our own experience about filming. Okay, yeah. So um, the film festival was, it's yes, it was yesterday and today. It's from, it was from seven to nine yesterday or I think it was seven from eight. And then today it's gonna be at from seven to eight-ish, I think. Um, they're gonna be playing the rest of the films today. I did watch it yesterday and I, I really enjoyed them. I don't know if you guys watched them too. Um, I'm actually really excited today because like one of my, my films is gonna be shown. And so I'm gonna be like ready for the Q and A. And I think also today they're giving out the awards. How are you feeling getting um, your video, your film accepted? I'm like, it's really exciting because um, it was like a whole like um, group effort. Like it was the first time that I made a film with like collaborating with other people. And it was just a lot of fun. Because uh, I remember when, oh, sorry. No, sorry, continue. <laughs> oh, no, I was going to say that just filming was, was a lot of fun, and I'm just, like, really proud of my team. Uh, was this um, before COVID? Uh, it was, like, it was a um, fall quarter. So it was, like, yeah, it was, like, last, it was um, last year when we recorded it. But, yeah, it was, oh. like, a COVID was already a thing. Oh, okay. That's, oh. Ooh, do you mind um explaining to us, like, what the film was about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah, I had this, like, weird, so this is for my, we did it for, for a class. It was, like, filmmaking foundations, and I had this really weird idea of, like, a character, like, this really awkward character who just, um like, they're very lonely so then they just start like collecting stuffed mice so like they have like a like a stuffed mice collection and then um they kind of kind of like oh, I, forgot, I don't know if it's called dinner with the schmucks or something but yeah they just like collect mice um that's basically what it is it's just a very weird character who dresses up mice <laughs> it's very strange and you have all um, other videos as well, right? I mean, films. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I have like like four, but uh, I'm working on another one right now, so that should that should be fun. I want to ask, like, um, what aspects of filmmaking do you guys like focus on, or just are really interested in? I think for me, um, I I was like really surprised when I started getting into like documentary filmmaking because I pictured myself doing like um probably like fiction and stuff but mm -hmm. yeah it was uh I think like probably fall quarter when I started getting into it because I did take a class with um the professor like uh and yeah I was just interesting and I actually made the documentary last quarter which was about queer Southeast Asians and I'm still working on it but yeah Oh, that sounds so cool. I haven't made a documentary. It it seems kind of, um. I did take a documentary class, but it, it is a little intimidating because, you know, you're like, it's more about like, I guess being, having accurate information. It's kind of scary. Yeah, it's like, you like sometimes you got to be careful about like yeah. what you put in and like what you say, but 
I mean, it's like a work in progress too, so. Mm -hmm. Honestly, making films at UC Davis, I just wish we had more time because since we're like on the quarter system, everything starts mm. like, like I, last quarter, I think um, Victor and I were on a project, but like it was super late that we didn't even get to finish it. Awesome. Yeah, I, I totally get that. I'm in a, a production class right now and it just speeds through like one time my professor gave us like two days to film it was it's just ridiculous like it's two days right now it was something like that like nobody did it but yeah it was it was just not enough time to film was that just filming or was that like editing included oh uh, no it was like shooting yeah we had like two days to do it oh, yeah <laughs> And we only have the coordinate to do it, too, if we're in a class. But then, you know, they have to go over, like, the steps first and then, like, the logistics. And then you actually get to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, Anna, have you, you said you, did you make a film? Uh, yeah, it was uh, Victor and I made a film. Oh. Um, it was basically about, like, mental health during COVID. Mm -hmm. um, it was this character who, like, has to, like, um... She's on her own because her housemates had left due to COVID. So she was by herself. And then she slowly just started like getting her depression back, anxiety, all that stuff. And it was just basically showing how she felt. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was really uh, did good. Did you guys but... like upload that? Oh, sorry. I was oh. going to ask if you guys um had uploaded it somewhere. No, that was the thing. We didn't get to finish it because, um, um, like, our schedule started, like, colliding. And then, like, since it was, like, like close to the end of the quarter, we didn't yeah. have that much time either. That's unfortunate. Yeah, we were only able to shoot, like, half of it. And then we also ran into, like, another oh, problem. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. It was so... <laughs> yeah, I try, to for I try to tell myself to forget it because I was just so devastated. I know it was like we had so many good clips Thanks but back. then yeah it ended up being erased yeah so it was like I think like six hours of shooting <laughs> sorry that was hours. my dog <laughs> it was like six hours of shooting correct yeah I feel like it was like a little more than that too yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's why, like, we also couldn't finish it because we had technically finished it, but we just needed to edit it. But since half of it was gone, we didn't oh finish it. Oh, my God, that sucks. Oh, my. Yeah, but things happen. Luckily, the yeah. understanding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, now we know. Like, we learned from that. Oh, scary. I was, like, more <laughs> panicked on, like, if he was going to, like, dock us points because that happened. I know, because, like, our, like, I, I feel like our entire grade was, or, like, our entire grade was based on that project. So I feel like, he, I felt like he was going to fail us for some reason. I I feel like 99% of like the film was like our grade. Exactly. Because that, that's the only thing he assigned us. Well, besides like the other project, but yeah. That was yeah. Just... And like, we also had to have the script on time. Yeah. And then like discussion or like on the discussion posts and stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's really difficult, honestly, to make films like, um, just like at school. It's just you know the time constraints and everything. Um, I think we're gonna actually move into the next group, but thank you guys. Thank you.
Thanks, y'all. Good morning. We are Guangbo. We have Michael here. Hey. We have Jing Yi. Hi, hello. And I am Aiden. And today we'll be talking about sports. So let's go to our field reporter, Joshua, for a little <laughs> bit about the NBA. Yeah. Uh, he couldn't make it today, so we're going to play a little interview that was uh, prepared by him. What's up, man? How's it going? How you doing? Doing good. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm going to let you, like, get some of those grievances you have off your chest about the Portland Trailblazers and trading Gary Trent Jr. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I just wanted to ask you a couple questions, um, see your thoughts and hear your thoughts. Well, shoot, while we're on the topic, uh, what do you think of this late, uh, the Laker or the play, uh, playing game? Uh, well, the Spurs got smashed. Um, <laughs> I mean, we didn't – we put up a fight, and I'll take that. I think that we're a young team. I did not think we were the Hornets of the West, but that's apparently what it looked like. <laughs> so, I mean, it is what it is. But this this uh, Lakers and Warriors game is – it's, it's playing like a playoff game for real, for real. So Omar, I'm sure, would love the fact that uh, he's a huge Lakers fan and he's saying that the Lakers are underdogs. I don't see it because they still have LeBron and Anthony Davis. So, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, no, for sure. It was like, what, 80, 70 to 80% of the season, they were in the, the top four seed in the West. And- yeah. Last month and a half, they they fell down, and when they fell, they fell, yeah. And if they fell hard. I mean, I thought the addition of Andre Drummond would like give you some sort of edge, especially on the glass. But I mean, it's taking them a while to get into their offense. Yeah, no, for sure. And while we on the speaking of the Warriors, it was this season. It was nice to see Steph Curry reemerge back into. I don't know why people were thinking Steph was was like a scrub now <laughs> like i really don't i really don't understand why people thought steph curry was a scrub i, I wouldn't say i thought uh but i wouldn't consider saying he was a scrub i think entering the season a lot of people thought that he would be easier to guard and easier to stop because usually with those smaller backcourts that are backcourt dominated teams if there's nobody on the wing or down low that can score they're easy to trap. Uh, a lot of those teams, like Portland, was that same way. Houston was that same way, where they're so uh, ball dominant in the backcourt. Yeah, I agree. Uh, speaking of which, shout out Monty Williams, um, coach of the year. One hundred percent deserved it. He was clearly coaching that team like the right way from the beginning, and we saw it last season. Um, even though they lost, but we saw the growth that they were going to make towards this season and uh shout out monty williams shout out for, yeah the the suns uh last year definitely wouldn't expect them to take the take the leap they did this year even with the addition of chris paul i mean i mean chris the, the chris paul effect is is unmeasurable <laughs> 
you know, and in any team, Chris Paul's a good pickup, but just being able to change that up and adjust to the personnel and utilize Devin Booker, I feel like this is one of the years Devin Booker was able just to fit in and be himself. He didn't have to try to do more than what he is. I mean, just go out there and be great. And then all the other players just picked up and built off of it. And that was, it was evident in that end of the game uh, against Portland, my team, uh, where we blew that lead in the last 30 seconds and didn't really know what to say from there. How do you feel uh, they go with Melo next season? I think Melo is. Because he's a great addition to y'all, but he is also 35. I mean, I think Melo just wants to ball, and I will give him that because he's always just been a baller. But he is starting to reach that age where you start to wonder about his health. You start to wonder how much you're paying this guy, how effective he's going to be coming off the bench, how effective he's going to be as a starter. I, I, you start wondering about a lot of things once they, once they start hitting that age. Um, Doris Burt, she said one thing that uh, a lot of people are going to start having to think about is how we evaluate what is too old to play the game anymore. <laughs> and we clearly see what LeBron has been doing. And I'm just curious about Carmelo Anthony. Yes, no, I... I agree with you with indoors put Burke with uh, reevaluating how old someone is before, you know, before they're detrimental to a team. I think a lot of the times we view that just based on their stats in general um, versus what the overall contributions they have to the team on and off the court. With Melo in specific, Melo is a good supplemental leader to Damian Lillard. I mean, they're there's times in the game where you see them sort of look at each other for leadership. Uh, Melo's been there, done that. Melo's one of those players that regardless, he'll be 50 years old at the YMCA getting a Get 40 buckets. Piece. Get buckets. <laughs> getting a 40 piece. But Melo also has that respect to where, you know, he's going to hold you accountable. He's going to hold himself accountable. Um, and that was one of the biggest misconceptions with Melo is that Melo was selfish, but ever since joining Portland and even some of his times on his other teams, you can see that selflessness. He, he'll sacrifice minutes. He'll be there cheering on CJ Dame um, or even some of the young players. Gary Trent, we had Gary Trent. He was big with the development of him and sort of taking him under his wing. Um, and when we go and score in droughts, when, when Lillard's struggling, CJ struggling, um, there's been games where Melo's just taken over and, and have flashbacks to what he did in Denver and New York. So I think Melo still has a couple good years in his tank, not only statistically of what he can provide on the floor, but uh, off the court, just in a locker room and his leadership. He has that, that veteran mentality that we've been missing a lot. Um, so I definitely could see Melo staying another year or two in Portland if he wants, but definitely would see him in the NBA for a couple more years. I would absolutely love that. I would love to see more mellow in the NBA. All right. Are you an NBA fan, Michael? Uh, to be honest, I mean, I'll be the first one to admit. I honestly don't know very much about sports. Sports have never really been my, like, forte. Uh, I, I follow a little bit of baseball and a little bit of the NBA, but uh, not too much. However, I do think an important point was brought up in the interview 
how old is too old to be playing sports? What do you think, Aiden? You know, I think there was a certain age, probably maybe 10 or 20 years ago, that a lot of players were sort of following. But, mm. you know, as sports science gets better, as, you know, recovery methods get better, I think players are going to be playing a lot longer. Right. As time goes on. I mean, if you look at Tom Brady, I mean, he's over 40 and he's winning a Super Bowl, you know, so. Right. So, like, do you think there's, like, a direct correlation between, like, sports science and, and te- just technology, I guess, in general, getting better and that kind of, uh, I, don't, I don't know what you call it, um, preservation of health for the, for the athletes that are, you know, kind of getting uh, older in the years? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think there are still, even today, a lot of misconceptions in, you know, athletics just about what's good for you, what you should be doing, you know, stuff like that. Um, You know, whether it's nutrition or just physical therapy or, you know, orthopedics, um, we're all still learning, you know. Yeah, they they also have that, like, cryotherapy or stuff right now isn't that a thing (laughs) yeah i don't i don't really know too much about it but um i guess a lot of athletes like it i'm not sure um do you like sports at all jingy uh i really like i hardly move in daily life i just stay at home (laughs) that's a mood (laughs) and um i think as for the appropriate aid for sports i think it depends on whether you're a professional athlete or like just ordinary people so for professional uh professional uh, sporters when they have uh, their competitions they overuse their body at a very young age and when they retired the illness and pain will follow them for the rest of the life um, but for the ordinary people, I think uh, age is not the main problem. It just depends on how much and what type of sports you're doing in daily life. Um, I There is a, a news in China, which is really popular earlier years. Uh, it talked about a 65 years old of grandpa. He has a really old face but he has a really, really perfect body, like like a young man body. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes. So if you only look at the his body, he's like a supermodel, but the face is like an old man. So age <laughs> is not really a problem. It just depends on the way you're doing the exercise. What's his secret, Jingyi? the secret he he keep exercising <laughs> he Is keep exercising running every day but Dang. he didn't do any skincare or face face job ah so that's why he looks like an old man but has the body of the supermodel yes <laughs> i see i see oh, i'll have to get on that i guess <laughs> but uh oh gosh yeah i i do think that it it it, it does differ between professional athletes and just like normal uh, i don't i guess you would just call them normal people like playing sports right because obviously professional athletes 
they're at the top of the game, right? They're they're as they're as physically high as you can go in that uh, particular game, and that definitely puts a lot more stress on your body than just like playing every once in a while. Um, but that's just about uh, that's just about our time. Now, really quick, before we switch to the next group, I'm gonna go ahead and do the station ID. You are listening to KDRT 95.7 on the FM dial, broadcasting from Davis, California, where the grassroots grow. Now, next group, please take the floor. Is that uh, Connect Four? That's next. Yep, it's us. Cool. Okay. Um, for today, I recorded an interview with uh, my professor, uh, Professor Brunton. He teaches Ghosts of the Machine, which is probably like one of the coolest classes I've ever taken. The um, class teaches us about how like throughout history in response to technological developments, the fear that people have felt in regards to technolo technological advancements in film or audio or something. Um, but he's a super interesting professor. He always has uh, something interesting to say. And um, because we were talking about uh, machines that respond to your senses, like your sense of touch, um, sensory input, I decided to interview him about uh, Neuralink and a couple other concepts that were relevant in the news. So here's my interview with them. Today, since we were talking about like sensory information in class, mm. I wanted to know if you knew anything about Elon Musk's Neuralink, because I know literally nothing about it. <laughs> Um, yeah, I know a bit. Uh, I get a little frustrated with Musk because he is a tremendous marketer. And so he will often kind of frame his company as though it is like doing research that nobody else is doing when the research is actually being fairly widely conducted. So Neuralink is part of a larger body of research, um, which is for, I'm trying to the right way to describe it. It's finding um, computer mediated ways to make sense of neural activity um, so that you can actually do things like, for example, the problem is with it so far is that it's still relatively um, gross, by which I mean it is um, relying on large scale brain phenomena to, to sort of tell it what to do. So you can, in fact, do things where you can, um, you know, say, picture, I don't know what the exact state of the art is anymore, but you can like picture a particular color and then that color will appear on the screen. Um, you can like things that are like legitimately very, very impressive. You can like control objects moving through space to some extent. The really interesting challenge of this kind of research is figuring out how to make uh, more fine grained and contextual activity out of the activity of the brain. Right, because it's like it's one thing to be able to say like I can I can get a, a big enough picture from the mass neural firing that's involved in like imagining a particular spatial movement or picturing a specific color, and that's hugely impressive and nothing to like speak lightly about. But it's another thing to say like we're ten years out from being able to like you know surf the web with our brains or whatever you know it's like because it's it is on the way, but it's something where the um we don't yet know the size of the gap between like aggregating large-scale neural data into something that a computer can execute to the kinds of things that we think we're doing when we are like engaging in more like kind of higher order cognition about what we want or what we want to happen on a screen or whatever i guess like what kind of like, use would that have 
uh, in like real life? I mean, there's actually a lot of interesting potential applications. Um, you know, the, the problem with a lot of these kinds of technologies is not a problem with the technology itself, but rather that, um, and I disagree with him a lot about a lot of things, but I really like the way Marshall McLuhan phrased things. Um, and he said, uh, one of his like aphorisms about technology is that we drive forward looking in the rearview mirror. Like we're always kind of making sense of what a future technology can do, of what we're familiar with from the past. And a lot of the, I mean, so so obviously one of the major applications of these kinds of neural interface technologies are for um, uh, various forms of disability, right? Like the ability to sort of control using only the brain has a lot of potential applications. Um, it's been an area of uh, real interest in research. I mean, we've talked about these themes a little bit before in class, but it's been an area of real research for the military as well, right? Like they're always interested in the idea of being able to translate human brain impulses into something a robot can do so that they can, for example, like have, you know, the goal is to minimize the number of soldiers on the battlefield and have as much of that replaced with, you know, drones and uh, machines of various kinds as possible. And a lot of research going back to the 60s into this has gone on under the rubric of, in particular, the Air Force, trying to like tighten the feedback loop between the pilot and the plane, trying to tighten the feedback loop between the human and the machine that they are operating. So those areas are kind of like hardy perennials for this, right? Like, um, how can we um, provide uh, additional potential agency for people with disabilities? And how can we make it easier to like shoot missiles from the stratosphere at something with only our brains? But what I'm really excited about is once this technology starts getting a little bit more practical, it becomes really interesting to see the directions that people take it that no one was predicting, right? Like, what we're we're doing right now is was not a meaningful thing to talk about with computers as they were first envisioned, right? Like we're not, you know, we're not solving fluid dynamics equations using our computers. We're doing so much other stuff with them. Um, so I'm really, really fascinated by the sorts of things that we might do when we started to see like more tightly woven feedback between minds and machines because i think there's there's got to be something that it can offer us that is superior to the kinds of interfaces we already use right so like how are you going to create something that works better than like and i'm not kidding better than a trackpad and a keyboard for purposes of like manipulating digital data well maybe you won't maybe you'll instead discover that that's actually really useful for stuff we haven't even figured out we could do yet you know um, and then the last thing that I want to talk about, uh, circling to a completely different technological uh, uh, thing, but still relevant to Elon Musk. Every single time I go onto Twitter, there's always news about Dogecoin now. Today, Dogecoin and Bitcoin, like their stocks dropped like 40%. I don't they know tank. if Musk like, tweeted something. Yeah. Do you know what happened with that? Yeah, so um, so I have I have a, a larger, more depressing thought and a smaller, <laughs> funnier thought about this. So so I mean, what happened specifically today was a kind of set of related factors. There's been a lot of volatility in crypto coins recently. A bunch of it specifically related to Musk, right? Who like, you know, I mean, Tesla makes more money uh, or did make more money recently manipulating the Bitcoin market than they make selling cars. Like it's actually a surprisingly large part of their business. Um, 
and uh, right, because Musk has been a big booster of cryptocurrencies, but then he announced that Tesla was no longer accepting payments in Bitcoin because of Bitcoin's carbon cost, um, because Bitcoin is the most wasteful goddamn technology that humans have ever developed in terms of pure inefficiency. Um, and, uh, and likewise had this kind of... Um, pumping up of uh, Dogecoin and then going on SNL and talking about Dogecoin as a joke, which tanked it. And like, so, so part of that is a, is a, in a larger way is people starting to get spooked, right? Like the, the underlying structure. So I know it's such like a kind of, you know, uh, like, you know, freshman year bong rip thing to be like, money has no intrinsic value, you know, but it doesn't. But the thing is that it has larger structural, social contextual value. And that's perfectly fine. And we managed to make that work with various forms of money for, you know, thousands and thousands of years. Um, and the reason I say that is that the challenge with new forms of currency like Bitcoin, like Dogecoin and the other kind of altcoins and related crypto stuff is that the social basis for their value is the conviction that they are going to be part of the future, right? That like, you're getting in on this stuff now, this will be a global reserve currency in five years. You know, a Bitcoin's going to be worth a million dollars. Like this thing is going to be the like stable guarantor of international economics. Like this is going to be the, the coin of trade, blah, 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 blah. Um, the point is that it has nothing to do with whether or not Bitcoin is useful, whether or not it works, anything like that. The value at this point is the speculative value of people betting that it is going to be the cryptocurrency that's sticks, right? That it's going to be the one that stays around. And as silly as it is, Dogecoin, which was like started as a joke and has never stopped being a joke, um, also has this uh, similar quality, which is, hey, you know what? It's, this is ludicrous, but we live in a ludicrous time, you know? Mm -hmm. And maybe Dogecoin is going to like become something that will stick around, or at the very least will be something that someone else will pay me more to get from me than I paid to get it from somebody else, you know? All right, so that looks like the last of our um, uh, our clip from the interview. Um, so I'm curious to say, or curious to hear what you guys have uh, to say about that first, because I want to see. I know um, all that made sense to me because, like, I was the one having the conversation with them. But I'm curious to see if, like, any of that made like any sense to you guys. Yeah, I thought the stuff um, about the Neuralink was super interesting, especially how. Um, it will help people with disabilities, especially like mobility issues. Um, and I like made me think like if it like falls into the wrong hands or something like Neuralink could also be pretty dangerous. Yeah. Um, Arasati, what do you think? Well, based on the internet, I think if anything, just like in technology it has always been, it's about making life easier, making life where we have to work less where we don't actually have to physically be there. The example, he used like war. Instead of using human soldiers, we had to use like robots to fight our wars now. So it's now like more robotic wars or medical ways. Instead of using machines that are outside, we actually had to implement that now instead of each other's brains. So I'm pretty sure how, I'm not sure how society will respond considering that some people do fear having anything put into their brains or even to their own body. So that's something interesting. I would like to see how people will react to this interlink 
new technology that we might that might become more prominent in the future actually yeah i think technology is headed in a super interesting way oh what was that i think technology is headed into in like a super interesting way um with all this like dogecoin like virtual money and who knows how that's gonna like pan out i think it's funny that the um virtual money craze like started a few years ago now honestly like you know about the pandemic's been weird because all of us have like been at home and we've been needing to like make advantage of uh technology that's designed to help us like do stuff from far away and a lot of this technology was like just being worked upon like right before the pandemic happened like zoom i never used zoom before the pandemic happened but i think it like came out at some point right before or something um but it, it was an existing thing that just like came out and was like super relevant and so i think because of the pandemic i think um a lot of technological advancements that we're going to see are going to be based around um can we do stuff from our home can we do stuff like um like, do we have to go to work anymore? I think that's like one of the biggest questions. Um, if we're talking about like, oh, technology is meant to make our life easier. I feel like the direction that means is we're gonna work less and might even not have to go to work anymore. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, do you think you guys would get a computer chip implanted in your mm -hmm. brain if it gave you superpowers? Oh man, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't want to, but I feel like at some point they'd maybe like start forcing people. So that would be a scary thought too. <laughs> like, all right, you can't do anything unless you have this chip or something like that. Oh my God. You know how like uh, restaurants will have the QR codes. So you have to like scan the QR code to get the menu. And it's like, well, I don't have my phone on me so I can't look at the menu. I feel like that's the next thing. Like you're gonna have to like get a chip if you wanna like look at the menu for a restaurant. And or, like, else pay you can't for eat. Yeah. I see that being an issue for some people, but I don't think for the majority, considering that everybody does carry their, actually their phones. The average Joe does have a phone. The average Joe do carry all these technological things. So it's more about the small group, the minority people that just don't want to be involved like this. They're actually going to have an issue more than the actual entirety of population, in my opinion. So do you think there's going to be like a, uh, we're going to split into like, conflict between two groups those that have te technological advancements in their body and those that don't i think so um i think even right now like people that have the vaccine versus people that don't and that's not even a really a technology kind of thing um and then like a lot of people were thinking that if you got the vaccine you're getting microchipped um so that's like pretty crazy <laughs> i don't know there's maybe like a divide mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that concludes our time. Do you guys have any last comments before we head to the next group? I think that covers it. Sounds good. Well, in that case, hello, everyone. We are the Zoomers, consisting of Jacqueline, Yanru, and Molly. And of course, it's your host with the most, Lucky Green. I decided to interview my roommate on Donald Trump, and what follows are his thoughts. Enjoy.
Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to yet another show. Today's topic, politics and... So wonderful! And please give a round of applause for the man, the myth, the legend, John Doe, ladies and gentlemen. In the place with style and grace, because I got taste. So for the moment, Donald Trump is still banned from using YouTube, Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, and Instagram. And a reminder for those who've forgotten, in January, he was barred from these social media platforms because he encouraged a mob that stormed the Capitol, resulting in five deaths. So now we fast forward to May, and now Donald Trump is planning to speak at a dinner for the North Carolina Republican Party State Convention. What are your thoughts, John? You know, this is a, a subject that you know, has been on people's minds for for quite a while now, you know, the, the idea of this, this guy, Donald Trump, you know, changing the, the face of politics forever and draining the swamp and all those buzzwords that he used. Um, and to, to know how everything turned out and, you know, he essentially has to abdicate the throne and he, he really kind of went out kicking and screaming we always had this idea of he's going to go into hiding for a while and then he's going to come back. He's going to have some plan of attack. You see, for me, politics is all planned. There is no, oh, they're just going to do it off the cuff or fly by the seat of our pants. A lot of people said that that's what Trump was doing, but there's too much going on in the world. You have people whose entire job it is to monitor what this guy says. So I, I do not feel as though we're talking about somebody where all this was random. He obviously has a plan. He obviously is a very sensational, provocative person. So I expect it to be a very incendiary speech for sure. Given Donald Trump's connection to the Proud Boys, a group of white neo-fascists who are led by an Afro-Latino, do you think Trump could possibly incite more violence during his speech? I do believe that this man's words um, can be very incendiary. I, I do believe that he can get people riled up. With everything that's going on with COVID right now, I would imagine that people aren't going to be as willing to go out and be, you know, um, physically, you know, violent. Um, I don't believe people are going to do it. However, the last thing I would uh, ever want a chance doing is underestimating people. So folks are completely capable of it. I am looking at the time that we're in right now. We're just now beginning to relax as far as our apprehensions on COVID. We're getting vaccines rolled out. So it makes sense that we're becoming more social. I just don't want for it to become us switching from problem to another problem without really taking a breath to look at the road around us. So hopefully this man's going to come with a message of let's focus on rebuilding and strengthening the entire country. That is completely against type for Donald Trump. So my hopes are not high. However, you know, um, anything's and to add insult to injury, yesterday morning, New York Attorney General Latita James announced that she's joining the Manhattan District Attorney's Office to start a criminal investigation on Donald Trump. Looks like karma's going to catch up to him. That is very interesting. So there's this concept that I like to consider when it comes to, you know, politics and the political climate. It's called situational leverage. Um, uh, or, or, or some people call it the art of spin. Some folks would say, you know, pivoting. It's something that politicians do, their, their ability to, to turn a phrase. 
where, you know, they're able to have this sort of situational awareness of, of people's this perception of what they do and what they say. So when it comes to, you know, criminal charges, hey, this man has had criminal charges levied against him before. We're talking about somebody last time, as far as I can remember, last time somebody tried to, to impeach or, or hold him accountable in a court of law, he used the Department of, of Defense, their attorney, didn't he? Wasn't it something like that? He, he, he brought on the full brunt of the American legal system against the American legal system. So, you know, a, a person can leverage just about anything. And Donald Trump, you know, hey, one of his books is called The Art of the Deal, which dealing is essentially learning how to apply leverage to get things that you want. And, you know, hopefully when it's a good deal, both parties walk away with something that they wanted. Um, Donald Trump is, once again, just somebody where we all want justice and we might not get it. However, accountability is good. Scrutiny is good. So um, definitely it should light a fire under him as far as accountability. How that's going to evolve, how he may pivot or use that, that situational leverage, we'll see. Well, that's all the time we have for John Doe today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for your time, John. So, my fellow Zoomers, what are your thoughts on this situation? I think this is super dangerous. I feel like Donald Trump has under something under his sleeve and we have to like get ready to like receive all the punches he has for us because I know he's like not playing around, especially after what happened in January. Yeah, you just never know anymore. Cause yeah. it happened on my birthday. So <laughs> I'm like, do happy birthday. Oh wait, people are dying, getting shot. I'm like, oh, didn't see that coming. So yeah, it's just, it's really just sad. It's sad that they have to continue to like put money into this guy because of the fact that he was the president. They have to actually like hire, um, I believe like, you know, um, like ex-military guys to like, you know, make sure that he's protected at all times because, you know, of course people want to kill Donald Trump. So yeah, what about you, Molly? What about you, Yonru? What are your thoughts? So do you think that Trump is actually some mastermind or like with a plan or do you think he's a puppet? He's a puppet just like Ronald Reagan, you know? Like, he, he was just doing something else that someone told him to do, and he's taking all the heat for it, but that doesn't mean that he still doesn't have enough power to start something else from that person controlling him. That's, that's, that's all I'm saying. Definitely. Yeah, um, I want to say that Trump's policies are really bad news for international students like me. Like, last year, when he was still the president, he announced a number of policies that were not conducive to foreign students. This makes me in a panic all the time because I'm afraid that I can't go back to the U.S. to study, you know? Yeah, that's, that's dangerous. Wait, so that affects you? I'm, you're um, in China, I presume. Yeah, um, I'm currently in China and then like, I think since um, August, like, people can get back to the U.S. August? Why is yeah. it taking that long? Um, I mean, anyone who starts their school program um, after August, they can, they can come back because of the um, travel ban. Otherwise, I have to fly to, like, the third country, like uh, Singapore or somewhere stay for 14 days and then I can come back to the US. 
okay, well, can't wait to see you for fall. You know, that's going to be really cool. But it's just really sad, all of this happening. I'm, I'm happy that we have a new president, but all that that was leading up to him becoming president, it was just, like, we had to literally sit around with the thought in our head that, you know, this this guy, Donald Trump, might think he's a king and just change the legal system so he could continue to be the president for as long as he wanted to, because there was a whole bunch of articles hinting at yeah and like if you think about it he's gonna be talking in a um swing state for a senate race so that's really scary because we're like 50 50 on senate and i feel like that's that should be something we should definitely be like looking into and like worrying about because it's scary true but i really feel like he's going to say something and the idiots that are the Proud Boys are just going to mistake that for something entirely different. There might be a shooting. We, we just don't know. It's like anytime you give this guy some screen time, there's bound to be some idiocracy somewhere out there that someone's looking at him and looking at him as for like inspiration. When he's he was just a puppet. But yeah, that, that's yeah. What I agree. Um, I feel like sometimes like he could say something so ambiguous. And people can like interpret it and like take it to a whole different ugly level. And that's like what's scary about our society that it just like, it has the power to do that. You know, like we can like, we can see the negative stuff be manifested. Well, that's like what QAnon is doing basically. They're like reinterpreting everything that he says into some weird like crazy conspiracy. And they're still around for some reason. People are still giving them money, strangely enough. They're getting money? Yeah, like people send in a lot of donations. Like I believe uh, the week of the, uh, the riot at the Capitol, someone, I believe it was a Chinese group uh, that was agreeing with Donald Trump. It was like American uh, Chinese uh, like Republicans, I guess. And they just gave them like, I think like 100K. What, for, really, what do they need the money for? What are they buying? I mean, I mean, stupidity. I mean, you got that, that comes, it's really rare to get that nowadays. I but are they guess. doing like marketing or something? Are they like buying weapons and stuff? I mean, I'm a black guy, so their marketing is really crappy. So that's a good thing because I'm glad I don't have to see them constantly all the time, you know, because that would be really triggering. But I really, I'm happy that if they are using the money, I hope they, they're using it on like just things that they think is useful, but really not. You know, like putting all those Trump flags on their trucks, you know, p- pimping out their wheels to be red, white, and blue, just stuff like that. I hope they're using the money for that, not actual, you know, scenarios where they're going to try to attack people and coordinated attacks like they did previously with the riots and the protests last year. Yeah, yeah. probably going towards that, not just like <laughs> decorative memorabilia. Which there are now. There's actually... A lot of, if you get on Amazon right now, there's like a Trump plush dolls, you know, never forget Donald Trump 2020, never forget the rigged election. Like, <laughs> yeah, if you get on Reddit, if you go on Trashy, like half of those posts on Trashy, the Trashy subreddit is just Donald Trump supporters, like in a Walmart saying he didn't lose and that Joe Biden's going to die. Oh, man. So imagine this guy having the power to go to a dinner at a, a Republican convention. That could, that could really turn into something because he could literally say, uh, I would like to stand with everyone. And he's like, oh, wait, he stands with us, kill everyone, and then boom. But yeah. hopefully that doesn't happen. Yeah. 
So what exactly, I still don't really get, what is this dinner that, like, what is he going to be talking about at this dinner? So it's a swing state. So he's, he's just going to be like, hey, guys, you know, Republicans, look at me. I'm Donald Trump. You know, look at all the crazy stuff I did. And I got away with it. So if you, <laughs> if you want to do something else like that in the future, just vote for the people that I support. So it's just endorsing the people that, you know, supported him while he was, you know, a president. Hmm. It's kind of just I'm scratching actually, the backs of everyone that was looking after him. I'm actually curious of what he's going to be talking about right now. Like, the only thing I can think about is what's going on in Palestine and Israel. So, like, how can he use that for his advantage, you know? Because that's, like, the only I mean, protest. going with Trump, he's just going to talk about America and how we just need to focus on ourselves or something. That's what every time like he would have like a speech, it, it just sounded like he was rambling. He'd just be like, "Yeah, America, and we're gonna get more jobs here." And everyone's like, "Yeah, yeah," and then like they vote for him. But you know, in the end game, he doesn't do anything that he said that he was gonna do, aside from a few things that I'm not gonna look up because I don't want to give him any credit. I really despise the guy. Yeah, it's probably just gonna be like super generic America first rhetoric. Yeah, knowing Donald Trump, he's probably gonna have. Wait, what was his wife's name? I forgot. Ivanka? Ivanka. That's his daughter. Oh. <laughs> oh, I mean, he said that he wanted to be with his daughter. Strangely. Yeah. Creepy guy. And people are still looking at him like Wait, he's so a what is his wife's name? Um, um, I, I know she was a model. I remember <laughs> randomly <laughs> seeing like pictures of her from the 90s, and I was like, why am I seeing the first lady? Like, oh, Melania. Melania, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say Ivanka Senior. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Melania. She looks trapped. Like I don't know what. I don't know if she's brainwashed or something, but she does not look like she's a happy person. There's that conspiracy that she's actually like a like a clone or something, or like she's a stunt double. <laughs> <laughs> a stunt double for the yeah. actual like, so I think they're convincing. Remember she like uprooted the um the first lady's garden so that she could put roses when there used to be like a huge tree there? What? Yeah, it's like she did so many basically like while Donald Trump was like screwing over the country, like Melania, she was doing a lot of stuff around the White House that was just like, wait, why are you doing that? What and, yeah, and they just let her do it. Like she put a whole bunch of like roses in the um, presidential flower garden and there was a huge tree there previously. And she uprooted this tree that's been there since I think probably like maybe Ronald Reagan, maybe JFK, I don't know. But they uprooted the tree and just like, just put some roses there. And she's like, oh, it looks so much better now. And it's like, really? That was history. Maybe but, she's hiding something. Like I, that reminds me of that scene in uh, I think it's rear view window where the killer is hiding stuff in the in the rose garden. Yeah, and the dog kept um, trying to check to see if, you know, like where it was. <laughs> oh, man, that was a great film. How did we relate that to Donald Trump? <laughs> yeah. um, I actually have a question for you guys. Uh, Trump's love of Twitter is well known, and since being elected president, he has made a number of uh, important announcements on Twitter. He uses this social media channel to communicate directly with people, especially his supporters. And um, he uses these people to put pressure on political partners or opponents. So what do you guys think of this political meme? 
Well, he has Fox News, so he's not all. Oh, alone. that's true. Yeah. And we'll Jacqueline on this one. Yeah. Twitter is definitely an easy way to like get your message out to like the masses as quick as possible, though. Wait, what? Twitter is definitely like the most one of the most efficient ways to like get your message out there. I think to the greatest number of people. True. He's banned on that as well. So hopefully. All right, it's guys. So that's the end of our segment. Let's turn back to our host. Thank you. Thanks, you guys, for such interesting conversations and um, points you made. And once again, this is Vanessa. You are tuned into KDRT 95.7, broadcasting from Davis, California, where the grassroots grow. And that concludes our show. Thanks for listening. This is Technocult Radio signing off. Closer to bluegrass than straight ahead country, but it is, as he would tell you, country. This is K-Dirt, and this is Album of the Week, so it'll be... This hour of KDRT programming is underwritten by Berryessa Brewing Company, a craft brewery and tap room featuring a rotating selection of fresh brews, live music, and a relaxed atmosphere on the patio. Open Thursday through Sunday and located at 27260 Highway 128, Winters. Information at BerryessaBrewingCo.com.